Hello everyone and a big welcome to the podcast. You are listening to Pop That Mama and this is a very, very special episode because I've got two of my podcast listeners, Beth and James, on the show to share their induction and birth story with us all. We do have a part two to this episode where Kemi Johnson, who is a midwife and activist, actually responds personally to Beth and she has kindly allowed us to publish these voice notes. So keep an eye out for the part two. Enjoy listening, guys. So this is a very exciting episode uh, for me because I have one of my podcast listeners, Beth, and her husband, James, on the podcast today. So it's the first time I've ever had the listeners on and they're on to share their birth story, which is incredible because it's such an intimate and important day. So thank you so much, guys, for coming on and, and sharing this with us. But before we go into the birth story, over to you guys to just do a quick introduction. Fab, hello. Amazing. Thank you so much, Poppy, for this opportunity to share um, what seemed like a roller coaster journey uh, through the later stages of my pregnancy, going to over 43 weeks and then the birth of our beautiful son, Hamish. Um, as you, we are first time parents um, within the COVID 19 pandemic and lockdown. We both work in healthcare and therefore we had a bit of a head start when it came to COVID infection control procedures and PPE. We weren't quite prepared though for the impact that COVID would have on us as first time parents and the extra stressors that came with it. Definitely um, and I am a physiotherapist and I have experience working with mums before and after birth. So this obviously gave me a really good grounding for coping with the physical changes of pregnancy and the do's and don'ts. However, the emotional, psychological aspect of pregnancy and birth, regardless of whether there is a COVID pandemic, is something you just have to handle as it comes and nothing quite prepares you and compares to your own lived experience of that. So in this podcast, we hope to share our experience of this as a couple. I was very adamant that James was just as important in the whole process as I was and really cared about him having a positive birth experience too. I'll touch on some of the preparation um, I did for birth, such as online antenatal classes. I did some hypnobirthing. We did a rebozo training course and pregnancy yoga classes and lockdown really meant that I had way more time at home to research and study and sure I definitely made the most of that time. I'll discuss my, na my naivety in my pregnancy. I was definitely sure I wouldn't need a c-section or I wouldn't even need to re review anything past 40 weeks induction procedures I was definitely certain that this would not happen for me. And obviously then at the end, we'll have a wee chat about our actual birth and labour and what, what actually happened. Um, and our aim is to just ensure that expectant parents know that whatever birth experience you have planned or unplanned, you can make it a positive one. We were absolutely determined to try and make our own experience as positive as possible throughout. And hopefully this podcast will inspire and guide other listeners in their own journey. It does look like COVID is potentially here for the foreseeable, but by listening to podcasts like Poppy's, 
um, you're already making such positive steps to help with your birth and your plan. And little did I know that when I was a new listener to your podcast, Poppy, how beneficial and how much of a welcoming support network and platform that I would be entering into. So yeah, that's that's basically us. Thank you so much. What an introduction. I love that. <laughs> that was brilliant. Thank you, guys. Um, so let's just go straight into it, shall we? Uh, Beth, if you don't mind just talking a bit about you know, the fact that you went overdue, inverted commas, and just how you felt during that time, what kind of pressure you under, because I know that you and I had quite a few back and forth Instagram messages during that time. And I really felt for you, I felt that you were feeling the pressure. And I really just want to give you this space to talk about this, because I think it's becoming such a big thing. And every woman who goes to 40 weeks will experience this, this type of pressure. So, please uh, just just share what happened to you yeah most definitely it's a it's a massive thing now as I can see on Instagram the the chat about it is um is just exploding really um but I as I say didn't do any research into it I completely obliterated it from my head when the midwife mentioned it to me I I just switched off actually um so I thought I would maybe go into a wee bit about how we felt at 37 weeks and then maybe go in chronological order. Um, but basically at 37 weeks, we thought baby's cooked, that's us, we're ready. We were like cleaning the house and uh, the, the birth bag was prepared. I had actually planned to have a home birth. And this was something that I wasn't really thinking about initially. And I was always thinking I want to have a water birth probably in the hospital. But because of COVID, I actually thought, well, I, I could maybe have a home birth. It would probably be safer. And then I looked into it and thought, wow, this actually looks like it would be more really beneficial for me as a first time mom. I know that it's sometimes hard to have a positive experience the first time. And that's what I was really getting from all my research and study that as a first time mom, you really um, want to do as much research as you can to be empowered and make these decisions so I thought home birth great and we were doing all the antenatal courses online I was doing hypnobirthing I'd got a hypnobirthing book that I was reading James was doing all the relaxation scripts with me at this time at 37 weeks we were just thinking that baby would come pretty imminently really <laughs> how naive of us really but the midwife then had discussed the induction with us and as I say I switched off and to be honest, I was starting to feel the baby like in my pelvis. I was starting to feel a heaviness down there, on and off type period pains, very irregular, but not very mild as well. But I was thinking, oh, this is great, you know, and I was on the raspberry leaf tea capsules and the tea. And we had started uh, doing our per perineal massage ready for labor, as well as doing a lot of colostrum harvesting, which actually was something that worked. Initially, I thought I wouldn't get any colostrum at all and it wouldn't be something that would work for us, but then that was going well as well. So we were on track with all of that. And then the weeks just kind of kept coming and <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a bit of a shock to the system really. And I was just so positive at that time, like, oh, this is great. I've had a, actually a really good pregnancy. At the start, there was a bit of the classic kind of pregnancy symptoms, but in reality, the, the latter stages, I didn't really have any physical symptoms. And 
um, it, I was, it was, as I say, that emotional journey that I had to then start to prepare myself for. And I really wasn't expecting it would be that, that length of time. I think you feel as well if you tick all the boxes like you know we were doing all the we've got the home birth kit um, based on our hip and our birthing and all that sort of thing and we're doing all the perineal massage and colostrum harvesting you 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 kind of think if you tick all these boxes baby's going to come at the exact time <laughs> that you're expecting but that's baby comes when baby comes really at the end of the day and I think that's that's what you know. You get into this stage where you're then you're counting the weeks, but um, after thirty-seven weeks. But really, I think in hindsight, it's just about relax. I think if we you can kind of relax into that and know actually your body's designed for delivering this baby, and and it'll come when it comes. Um, but at that time, we're thinking, yeah, thirty-seven weeks. Right, we're ready. So. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, but cert um, certainly that was, uh, yeah, like a shock. Wow, yeah, I can totally uh, resonate with that. James, Did how were you feeling during this time? Did you find it, like, frustrating? What were your emotions while you kind of waited for baby? Um, I think at that stage, it's there's less of a pressure of waiting because although at 37 weeks, yeah, um, baby's technically ready to come from a developmental point of view. Um, it was really only when we got to like after 40 weeks that there was, I felt any pressure because, you know, I, I trust how best feeling and all that sort of thing. And it's just, at, for me at that stage, it's just empowering her, trying to keep her, relaxed as much as you can get all the oxytocin going massage and all that sort of thing and we were doing all that so I don't think that that's the I mean you, there's a maybe a bit of background stress because this is your first child you're preparing mentally for that as well but actually in the grand scheme of things I think I was pretty you know I was I think I, I was pretty ready for it in that sense <laughs> uh, at that stage but um, yeah and so yeah and the rest is uh, history as they say Wow. It was definitely, I was the, the stress, I was the one that started to feel the the stress and certainly when the 40 week mark came, the due date, I had read that a lot of people go past their due date so I was thinking oh well due date and then by this time I was kind of accepting the fact that the baby just wasn't gonna maybe make an appearance as quick as I thought um, and that was when we really started to do a lot more kind of meditation massage baths every night we were more looking into the natural methods of induction and kind of pushing that a bit more but not to any mad degree and like it was the beginning of that pressure that we spoke about Poppy on Instagram about how friends and family start to say, oh, you, you, have, you, have you had your baby yet? And I initially started to reply to them, no, all is going fine, you know, but actually then the messages kept throwing themselves at me and I ended up having to say to James, look, can you just take my phone and you need to look at all my messages. I had read about him being a cave protector at this time, like in olden times when women were due to give birth and they 
prepared their nest in their cave and their man stayed at the cave entrance and stopped any predators coming in and it felt like that's exactly what James did and he was amazing he took my phone in and he just screamed it and I also got one of my friends to be kind of a go-to to so I only spoke to her and she was able to kind of relay the messages to my other friends which really um really helped and took a bit of the pressure off. I think um with with that in mind obviously people these are friends and family most of the time so they're well-meaning but if you're already starting to get maybe a wee bit stressed about um about your progress like when you're thinking when is baby going to come and then if everybody else is asking that and it tends to be the same people who ask it we you know week on week um it does put a bit of pressure on you um from a social point of view um, and then we started to get quite a lot of pressure from a medical point of view moving on as well. So you you start to think, well, you know, what what's going on with us? Um, I'll just go maybe a wee bit into that medicalisation that we kind of started to get into. And that really came at my 40 week appointment I had a different midwife actually because my regular midwife was on holiday and the midwife then said great you're 40 weeks baby is head down you're about maybe four fifths engaged there I was starting to get those so she was really positive she told me loads of ways to try and bring on induction naturally like doing loads of walks crab walking up and down the stairs and all the kind of things we were mentioning there and I was it was great she actually as well told me to crawl on the floor so that it kept the baby at a good position you know and I was doing all that but she then said um at that appointment oh great I'll book you in for your induction next week what date would you like and I was kind of I just was like oh uh I don't really want I don't I, I hadn't really thought about that can I not have that and she was just saying well it's protocol that you have an induction I'll and you should really be booked in for it and I just kind of said oh well uh, let's just not <laughs> and uh, she obviously got the message that I didn't want to be induced um, and have a date I just wanted it to happen naturally and thought it would and um, certainly she was fine with that and then I went on and then I got my regular midwife at 41 weeks it was just over 41 weeks and she was again talking to me about induction and things and I thought oh gosh um, and at that time I'd started to do a little bit of in, a little bit of digging into induction but again hadn't had much research on the go because again I thought it would just happen and the midwife was talking to me about it and again I was kind of a bit switched off I was really thinking oh no I'll not need this and so she asked me if I wanted to have a sweep on that appointment I think normally if you're a first time mum the procedure is that you would be offered it at 40 weeks but I hadn't I had declined it at 40 weeks and 41 weeks came but because of all this pressure I was thinking Ach, I want to see what my cervix is doing so it wasn't really more about having the sweep it was more I want to see if there's actually any progress there so I accepted the midwife doing that and she was so fab she made me feel so comfortable it was in a really nice room in the in the midwife the midwifery unit and yeah she did that but she said she couldn't actually do a proper sweep because I wasn't fully I wasn't at all dilated but she could feel that my cervix was thinning and I was getting there which made me feel really great and I thought oh fab 
but the thing was because I was over 41 weeks she said you're gonna I'm gonna need to speak to a consultant so she went to speak to the consultant and then they said right you need to be booked in tomorrow with the consultant to discuss induction properly so I was like okay <laughs> dearie me um, so we then went home and just continued on the trying to, to get the natural induction going and lo and behold we had to go to this appointment the next day that appointment was really I did not expect it was really a negative experience and I think with Covid the pressures on the hospital are such that the waiting times for appointments are really long and they're obviously really busy normally in a midwifery unit and obviously with Covid as well you you can your partner can't stay in the waiting room with you if it's a busy waiting room so basically what happened was we went in and there was a row of men lined up in the corridor outside obviously the birth partners and then in the door where the clinic was there was just loads of women sitting socially distanced on chairs obviously pregnant sitting down and that was kind of the situation they had split the couples apart and they were obviously waiting on their appointment but for me at that stage in pregnancy and especially going to an appointment about induction that you really didn't want it was really quite stressful for me and I did not want to sit on my own and to be honest in those appointments mostly I think all the women are stressed so they don't really speak to each other because there's so many of them as well and it's such a stressful environment nobody speaks to each other so I'd just be sitting there just staring at all these other pregnant mums while I know James is just standing in the corridor outside so I went to the reception and said I'm here for my appointment I was on time but I'm going to stand with James in the corridor if that's okay and to be honest I felt fine because I was like standing get the weight down baby will come down putting that pressure on the cervix that'll help I did some walking in the corridor so I was the only birth partner that stayed with her partner but in the corridor uh, and then we made some friends with James made some man friends in the corridor which which was obviously really nice for him and you could talk in the corridor it didn't feel stressful so we did that but but you know we had a wait for over an hour in that corridor for our appointment and normally when we went to this antenatal clinic the wait was uh, an hour so <laughs> you never got told when you're actually going to be taken even though you had a scheduled time for an appointment and that was so stressful because you were there on time you were nervous about the appointment but you didn't know when you would be seen and this was over lunchtime a lot of the time and we'd really just brought water with us but then we learned at the future antenatal appointments that actually take a packed lunch like go as if you're going for a for a day out to these appointments because you <laughs> never know um, so we eventually got taken by um well actually what I did was I I went to the receptionist and said look I've been waiting for over an hour I'm 41 weeks pregnant I actually don't mind standing I feel fab but when are we going to be seen and the receptionist then went to chase that up and really I think because we were complaining at that point we then got moved into a room to wait so we got moved into a room with another pregnant lady, obviously just, just waiting. And then we waited for another hour in that room. So it just felt like they were kind of trying to 
almost pacify us by shoving us into a room and then eventually the consultant came but as you can imagine that kind of experience doesn't really pro promote those natural hormones coming I saw the consultant, the consultant did an ultrasound. So that was basically to check how much amniotic fluid was around the baby and the size of the baby and that kind of thing. And obviously at that time, if that wasn't right, they would maybe try and really progress things on, but actually it was all fine. And the consultant said, you know, it's, I think you'll probably have your baby within the next few days, your baby's looking healthy. I didn't have any pregnancy ailments like, you know, that would merit an induction. So I was quite happy. She did ask me if I want another sweep. And because I'd had such a positive experience the day before, and I had had a little bit more contractions that night after the, the intervention, I thought, oh, well, yeah, actually, I, that's, that sounds quite fine. I made an informed decision and thought, I'll, I'll go for that. And a consultant's tact versus a midwife that you know's tact about that kind of situation is obviously very different. And the consultant then just separated me from James with a curtain and said, right, let's get you on the table, do this. And then within two seconds, she was doing the sweep really forcefully. And I didn't really have any time to prepare. I automatically started doing my hypnobirthing breathing because I thought, wow, this is uncomfortable. Got through it. But it was she was she was actually doing the sweep for a lot longer, probably about three times the time that the midwife was doing that for. And I felt, oh, gosh, this is actually I probably if I'd known it was like this, I wouldn't have consented to it. But it just shows you the difference between practitioners and how they maybe do things. So after that, she then left me. And then obviously you have to have a scan after you've had any intervention. So she scanned the baby. But I was still. um you know like naked from from waist down and I felt that I was leaking and on the table that was there there wasn't any paper or anything so I was just literally felt so humiliated really and when she opened the curtain I was still like that and James was sitting there obviously so perturbed that I had just been through an experience that he could hear me having a bad experience but couldn't really do anything about it and then I just didn't want to look at James because I knew I would just burst out crying and then she said, great, so we'll get you in. Next week, you need to have regular CTG monitoring because you're overdue and we need to keep an eye on this baby. But go home and try and have your baby. And then we just basically went home and uh, how did you feel, James? Well, I think as you say, like, all, yeah, all I can do is hear what's going on and then... Um, because the first sweep was such a positive experience from your midwife um, and then to go to this is it was quite a jump but I think the thing was I mean it's not an excuse but the the clinic we were in I mean we'd been waiting for three and a half hours by that point it was a busy clinic they were short staffed and this person who was sweeping you was obviously in a rush and that came across but you know, in quite an intimate exam, uh, well, a very intimate exam, you, you know, that's not, you know, it's not necessary, well, it's not excusable in that circumstance. And I think the the main reason we're talking about this is not to put somebody off a sweep necessarily, but it kind of created an atmosphere whenever we were in that clinic that um, 
I think affected your progress from a um, stress point of view. You know, um, you, you're, I'm doing my best to keep Bess as relaxed as possible at home and and um, doing all these things to to help baby come out in his own time. And then whenever we had an appointment there from this point, um, you would get very anxious beforehand um, and, and, and that made a big difference to, to your outlook on going into the clinic and a place where you should feel um, relaxed anyway. So basically we went home and I was just crying, really upset. And we said, well, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to put this behind us and, and start those hormones going again? And we decided to write a formal complaint about the experience that we had. So we did that, wrote it, sent it off, felt great. And that was us. We thought, well, how are we going to change that experience for someone in the future? Write a complaint about it and they have to deal with that in healthcare. They have to deal with these complaints very seriously. So we know that because we work in healthcare. So great, let's try and change that for the future and um, let's move on. So we did. And basically, then we tried again everything we could. And I think I had spoken to you at that stage, Poppy, and you had given me some advice. And because I was so distressed, it was really helpful. No one I knew had been in that situation before, and I really didn't know who to reach out for, reach out to. So that's when you kind of gave me some resources to have a look at that were more appropriate. The Sarah Wickham website, and I had read the quote, trust is a better guide than fear. And I really felt at this point they were fear mongering a lot about stillbirth. The consultant had given me all the figures about stillbirth and that and you kind of started to feel that you were going on and you were really being made to feel that you were going to be risking your baby's life if you kept going and you didn't agree to induction which on the website that I was reading about was really reassuring that actually the, the statistics aren't that scary if you actually look at them but I think they're there, it's just all about fear and less support for mums, particularly first time mums at that stage who didn't expect this to happen. No support really for, for me psychologically about what was going on. I think it is as well. For first time mums, you're learning about how your body's changing. You're learning about baby. You're learning about the whole process. But in doing this kind of medical pressure into induction and whatever, um, it does disempower, I think it, you felt disempowered and you feel like you're starting off as a bit of a bad parent because you're trying to make a decision that you feel is best for you and for baby, but the medical professionals are saying, well, is this actually, you know, it's, it's your choice, but, you know, and it was always your choice, but, rather than actually Beth was a green pathway. Um, on any observation, baby was kicking, heart rate was going at this point, and perfectly healthy. You were feeling healthy and you were aware of baby's movements. And actually at this, during the pregnancy, mum is best suited to know how baby is and I know it can change in a bit of a knife edge in some circumstances and there is a place for medical intervention there's no 
doubt about that and we're not disputing that but I think it's how it's done and the the fact that actually the disempowering a few at this stage is really can be quite damaging to how you're feeling about the whole thing wow this is this is so so interesting and and Beth I actually remember you using that word you said I, f- I felt disempowered and what you say about just the lack of psychological support during that time is so interesting because it, it it really is so hard. And especially when they use the baby, you know, to kind of co- coerce you into doing something, they did the same to me. And, and that's just one way to scare a woman because, of course, you would do anything for your baby. At this stage as well, they're starting because you have a you have a wee person inside you. And they start maybe to treat you as very much separate people. So they maybe start to treat Beth more as a vessel for Hamish rather than Beth as mum of Hamish. Um, And I think that's how you felt, which is such a, you know, it's such an upside down way of treating mum and baby. So the dreaded 42 weeks came and I had to go back to this clinic for my regular CTG scans, which is basically, if you don't know, a scan that has a check of the baby's heart rate. It also can check your if you have any contractions and the movements of the baby as well. So we have never, uh, even though I've worked with mums and that before we didn't really get exposed to any of those machines so I really didn't know what I was going into again it was a busy clinic we waited for an hour after appointment time to be seen standard but we had had a picnic so it was great we were we we got taken by a midwife after the hour of a wait and I actually hadn't had an bet. you know what we had done that day we had um we had gone for a walk to my parents' house who live about 40 minutes away because we were so trying to boost in natural induction. We went for a long walk and we thought, hey, we'll walk back. And we were cutting it fine for the time for the clinic actually. And by the time I got back, I was exhausted. Like, you know, 42 week pregnant and you're like rushing to the clinic. And we got to the clinic, I was sweating buckets. I didn't have a chance to have a shower or anything. And obviously I was really quite dehydrated and we had actually had some nutrition with us, but I don't think it was quite, quite cut the mustard really. Um, (laughs) So we, um, we've got put onto the monitor, the lady popped us on and she gave me this button and I could have sworn, even though we work in the hospital, I could have sworn this was the button I needed to press to get her if I needed her in an emergency. So I just held on to this button and um, 15 minutes went by and she came in and she looked quite perturbed that the fact my baby wasn't showing any signs of movement at all. And little did I know that actually I should have been pressing the button when the baby was moving, but really she didn't explain that to me at all. And I think even though I wasn't pressing the button, it should still come up with the baby's movements on the monitor. But I know my baby and it was having a sleepy time. No wonder, because I'd just been so active and rocked it to sleep and all that kind of thing. So anyway, she was really quite worried. So she then phoned a consultant. So this is a str- another stranger visiting uh, well, visiting us that or seeing us that day. And 
the monitor was on for 15 minutes. Bear in mind, I've had a 42-week pregnancy and know my baby a lot more than, than a monitor does. The consultant came in. Well, I, I had gone out because Beth was starving at this point. I had gone out when the monitor got put on to go get her some lunch. And when James, in that time that James was away, I had four consultants at me putting a cannula into my, my hand because they were going to give me an emergency C-section because they had seen no movement from the baby. And the whole time I was kind of like, well, if you really think that my baby is desperately needing to come out because it's unwell, then you don't exactly say no to that. So they were asking, they were just saying, your baby really needs us right now. We need to take you for a C-section. What? <laughs> I, I didn't really know what to say. I was kind of like, well, actually, I wasn't worried at all. I was really chilled about it. But I was like, if you want to do this because you think the baby, because I obviously wasn't going to put the baby in danger. So I was kind of going along with it. And James came back in. And what did you think? Well, uh, when I came back in, there was like the consultant putting the cannula on you and all that sort of thing and there was two midwives and three consultants there um, and when I left you it was just you in the bed with this uh, monitor on and you do your mind kind of <laughs> raises and uh, I think there's there's a, I think when these things kind of start it's like a train you know there was a big thing we did a lot of I mean I took ages memorizing it as brain um, which is benefits, risks, alternatives, alternatives um, intuition, yeah. or doing nothing, which is in your hypnobirthing book. And that was how to stop that chain of events. Is this actually needed? Blah, 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 blah. Um, so I came in, and, but you do get caught up in, and you want, you, you get caught up in the, the progression of it. Um, and the one of the consultants stopped and then said hold on a minute how long have you actually been on the monitor and 15 minutes and she says well our baby's probably having a sleep let's give it 20 minutes longer and in 20 minutes lo and behold Hamish comes to the party and starts kicking away perfectly happy and the, the, bear in mind the heart rate has been perfect the whole time as well so they're going on this reduced movements in a tiny, tiny um, time frame, wow. um, but you you know you're the mind boggles. You're uh, I'm ready for Beth getting cut from hip to hip, and and it's a category one C-section. Like we need to get this baby out immediately. Oh um, my god! Definitely. Wow. <laughs> I'll let you speak, Poppy. No, no. I was just gonna say this. Just this just shows the like fear you know the attitude of risk in in the hospital and they're obviously under immense pressure and there's litigation fears and just that response is so telling so much so they were so jumpy 42 weeks they look at you like you have two heads yeah. why on earth are you not inducing your baby what is going on with you and one of the consultants after we kind of decided actually you don't really need a c-section she just looked at me and said you know, you could have an elective C-section and hold your baby in your arms today. You know that. Oh and I was kind of like, well, yeah, yeah, I do know that. But uh, ideally, I didn't really want a C-section. It's in my birth plan. 
you know, but these people, they don't know you. They, it's just obviously their protocol, so protocol driven, so fear driven, like you say, with litigation and that kind of thing. But nothing was wrong with Hamish. I didn't feel um, at all worried. So we then were offered another sweep. And because of that pressure, I was thinking, gosh, well, yeah, okay, sweeps. <laughs> Who's going to do it? Is it a nice person or a, a maybe a bit more of a forceful person? And actually, thankfully, it was a really nice midwife. Um, but it's funny because the consultant had said to me in the last appointment for the sweep, she said, you're going to need a consultant to do your sweeps because you need that kind of you need that kind of intervention. So it's obvious they feel that consultants are better at doing sweeps than midwives. But actually, in my opinion, midwives were so much more holistic and lovely and well and brought on those hormones. It didn't feel like such a bad experience. So I, I had a good experience with that sweep. And actually, the midwife had said that I was about a centimeter dilated at that point and she could feel and do the sweep properly, she felt. And we went home. And, you know, that night, we were absolute rebels. I felt like we were absolute rebels because I thought, James, let's get out the castor oil. And it's the dreaded castor oil. It's not recommended. Um, but we thought, you know, it's the last natural induction method we hadn't tried. So let's give it a go. We went down to the shop and we made this midwife's brew, which is basically a combination of castor oil, orange juice, almond, um, milk and lemon kind of essence into it and actually it tasted fab I although I've not uh, since since I've had that I've never really wanted to drink anything with almond milk in it afterwards basically we drank this almond milk and thought it'd be a good idea to then go for a power walk <laughs> which was not a good idea in hindsight because obviously halfway through the walk I started feeling exceptionally sick and and ended up um yeah, all that all that midwife's brew just ended up in the park, basically. And uh, <laughs> oh my god, that was not. It was the. To be honest, we laughed and laughed because then we thought, well, clearly the baby doesn't like this. Clearly, he's just been a wee rascal, and he does not want. Uh, you know, he's just doing what he wants to do. But that night, after I'd been so violently sick, I did get really profound contractions. But here was me thinking, actually, well, this is irregular contractions that really I was getting so many false alarms, but they could have been brought on by the sweeps that I've had and the fact that I was vomiting, you know, stimulating like contractions and things like that. So I, I was a bit dubious as to whether I was actually going into labor or not, because I'd had all these on and off irregular contractions. I was so used to being up in the night with it. And obviously it didn't it didn't happen. I think the the thing with the castor oil, um, I don't think we would advise it, and I think it's a bit dubious um, anyway. But um, the the thing that led us to that is obviously Beth has been wanting to have a natural birth, and all that medical intervention and stress on that appointment made you made you want to run away from all kind of medical intervention. But actually, that can be a dangerous position because sometimes medical intervention is appropriate there's no beating around the bush sometimes it's necessary um, and you know they're at, like you said Poppy they're actually doing the best they can within their constraints um, and they but they I think the issue in that circumstance was 
they weren't acknowledging Beth as the patient and her knowledge and ability um, as a, you know, a professional, uh, a medical professional, as well as um, um, the best person to know about what's happening with Hamish. And they, we felt they kind of labelled her as a hippie nature tree birth woman or something like that, um, rather than actually, you know, best mum of Hamish. Definitely felt like I was a hippie and yeah again it was just that lack of psychological support so here was us having a wee giggle um, at, at the Castle Royal situation but 43 weeks came and again I was sent in for further CTGs and I actually we got taken by a senior midwife who was planning to uh, gruel us about the complaint that we made that day you know that day that we made that complaint she actually wanted to discuss that with us and I just instantly shot her down. I was like, mate, I'm 43 weeks. I do not want to discuss this. James, Cave, Bader, you know, James. So she took James and discussed the complaint, but it was really not the time because I was due to have another CTG. I think they, in that circumstance, they need to nip it in the bud from a, um, from a, a clinical um, point of view but obviously Beth was stressed being in that clinic anyway and mm -hmm. the last thing you wanted to do was recall the most stressful event in that clinic so, <laughs> wow. so it was wow. my job to to go and do that and I have to say um, she was great the midwife was absolutely great at talking it through um, acknowledged the issues we're having and I think that's something for people who are having bad experiences in these clinics if you don't talk about it to the professionals nothing's going to change so you you could go home and complain about it all you want that's not going to change it for the next woman coming in so that's why we and as i say we're both medical prof, uh, professionals and it's difficult to complain to people who are also medical professionals because you feel a bit of autonomy with them. Um, but we felt it was our duty to do that for the next person. And as I say, the midwife is great talking it through and how things would maybe, maybe change in the future for the next people. And they're restricted not just from a um, clinical point of view, but from COVID and trying to tick all the boxes with that. Mm. Yeah, so she gave me another sweep actually, but um, she, it was just more the, again, a different practitioner. So that, this is me having four different sweeps from four different people. And we had seen basically loads of different people at this stage because one of the big things was we had had a, an amazing midwife up till the 40 week mark who gave me my first sweep. But after 40 weeks, you're then thrown away from your midwife that you've built this report with and you then are labeled as an overdue mum and you you don't get to see your midwife again and I felt that was really hard I didn't really you know you want it's like you know on, on these shows that you see on the tv you've got one midwife who takes you through the whole experience takes you through pregnancy birth and afterwards but actually the system that's out there with healthcare at the moment you can't get that continuity of care, particularly in the area that we live in. Uh, and I don't know if it would be any different if I had gone for a private midwife.
but that was a big thing for me all these different people and that intimate setting of a sweep but she had given me another sweep but obviously her her style of it was a bit different it was but she was because we had made that complaint we felt like we were at the Ritz like it was the sweep of dreams <laughs> but she she apparently didn't have long enough fingers so obviously it didn't maybe go the way that she wanted it to go but um and you know we even got some free samples of nipple cream that day so that <laughs> that was uh, we just yeah that but was different to be honest that's not necessarily what we wanted and you did feel a wee bit um I, I don't know it, it felt a bit uncomfortable that it was you were treated like um royalty because you'd complained because all we wanted was like a you know a decent and equitable service between everybody not feel like royalty because and you feel about that also stressed you out because you feel uncomfortable about everybody bending over backwards to keep you pacified and you feel like a troublemaker then you think oh goodness I'm one of those uh, one of those patients but um ah, that was just cricket so then we basically decided with that midwife, because of all the stressors that we'd had, we thought, oh, you know what, we'll just have to put an induction in the book. I'll be 43 plus three on Monday. If I've not had the baby by then, I'll accept an induction. And that was only because of the medical pressure, but also the social pressure, that kind of pressure. I was still getting bombarded with messages like, have you had the baby yet? And really, I was just wanting all that to be over. I actually wanted me and James to leave this area, make our own cave and just have the baby ourselves, which is obviously that kind of free birthing that is, I think in one of your podcasts, Poppy, you'd said that that's maybe a wee bit on the rise. But in fairness, no wonder if you're left to feel the way we were left to feel. But obviously there's that safety and you're always thinking about safety in this circumstance. So especially first time you so really we we didn't do that <laughs> obviously and we left it to the Monday we went in on the Saturday for another CTG which was fine and then we went home on the Sunday we went in for another CTG which was Mother's Day actually and the CTG was you know we were <laughs> we, I actually felt that Hamish had to be like a performing seal for the 15 minutes half an hour that he was on this machine for so I was like come on we we well we didn't know the sex at that time I was like come on we baby you know you've got to perform for these people and then we'll go home and it'll be fine you know and basically what happened was he had had the heart rate fine the heart rate was fine the movements were fine he was kicking like no tomorrow and but what we hadn't actually appreciated was that they're also looking for spikes in the heart rate which we hadn't really been told before and the midwife that was on was saying that she was concerned about these this lack of spikes on his heart rate so actually even if we were going to wait for another day to have an induction she would recommend that we probably had it that day because of his kind of spikes not being there so we then were like okay but we really weren't prepared at all we hadn't had our birth bag or you know we thought really we just went in and out and that would be great but actually we had to stay then and progress to having my potential induction so that was really that and then that the next bit is the start of our birth story uh, so I just wanted to kind of put a wee summary of 
why I feel that I went for so long to 43 plus three. And I think you could probably deduce a wee bit from what we've just said in that I had quite a lot of stressors at that stage, which obviously contribute doesn't contribute to a natural labor because you've got all the kind of wrong hormones in your body. I certainly in my family didn't really have a history of anybody needing an induction. And when my gran was at that stage, she was, I think, 10 days overdue. But at that time in life, in society, they, they just left women to it. And she just then had a natural birth and didn't feel any pressure. And she was, you know, out on a farm on her own and 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 just and just went for it. And really that's that's the difference in that all the appointments were was really stressful and all the all the pressures. But I also read that if you're a first-time mum, if you're potentially carrying a boy, but as well as that, if you're more informed about your birth, that can sometimes contribute to over dates as well. But I did actually message, I think it was Kemi Birth Joy Johnson, who you'd given me her Instagram account. And afterwards, she got back to me and she had said that actually, in her opinion, at the moment with the state of the world and COVID being as it is, that has actually contributed to her seeing a lot of mums who have gone past their dates and have had their babies at 42 and 43 weeks, just the fact that the world is the way it is at the moment, which is really quite interesting. And obviously all the complaints that we had to potentially deal with, we actually had another complaint earlier on in the pregnancy, but we'll not necessarily talk about that. And we had to get, Hamish had to get a few extra scans, um, which actually at the time, I didn't know the brain analogy. I hadn't done my research at that early stage. and. If I had known that, I probably would have declined more scans for Hamish. But at the time, you just go with the flow of the medicalization if you don't if you don't know. But we certainly felt that we had a great support network. And James, I really couldn't have done all that without him. So, so we'd been through all that and obviously, right, birth. Wow, exciting. James, when are you going to get the birth bag? And we had planned this, you know, the birth bag was was there. We'd planned our, I had a, a big birth tools kit. And that was really from the book that you had recommended, the birth skills book. And we kind of had, we had fans in there, balls, spiky balls. We had massage oil, all sorts of things. I had my positive affirmation cards. James had made a cheat sheet of labor, which was basically to remind him what to do with me through each stage of labor. So stage one, stage two, what to do, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, breathing, visualization, keeping moving, rhythm is important, all that. We were away to, I was like, right, I've got all these tools that we felt like we were ready for. Uh, you know, when you've got loads of bullets in your holster and you feel like you're you, you you're just gonna go to war and and that's that's it I was really adamant that I I was gonna have this amazing birth because of all that pressure I was gonna show them that I could do this and I was an empowered woman so because I was 43 weeks we had to go to the labor suite and I had to have the monitoring on the whole time and I guess that was kind of obviously because they wanted to keep an eye on the heart rate, but it was monitoring that was portable. So 
that was a positive in the sense. But when we went down to the labor suite, I remember going into the room and with James and just actually thinking, this, this room is really nice. It's a big room. The plinth was there. They had a, an amazing gym ball and a mat. And you could kind of, I really saw myself having this baby in that room with James there with me, which was fab. And we had a midwife who was really lovely. And she sat me down and just said, right Beth, so this is the plan. If you are potentially wanting to have the labor, you want tell tell me, you know, she, she wanted me to tell her my birth plan and what I wanted, what I didn't want. And it felt like I was actually being listened to and, and treated as a person for once. She didn't really care that I was 43 weeks. She was just like, right, birth, what is the situation? Which was amazing. And I felt great about that. And basically the plan was they were going to examine me. And if I was more than kind of one centimeter, two centimeter dilated, and they felt that they could break my waters with that level of dilation than they would. And if they felt that I needed to be a bit more dilated, the plan and the protocol in our area is you would get the balloon catheter, which is obviously where the, uh, it sounds really bad and I really wanted to avoid this, but they basically would put a balloon above your cervix and below to try and expand unnaturally your cervix and then that would help to contribute to normal labor and I had read the NICE guidelines which are standardized guidelines and basically they have said that first-time mums who potentially have these kind of inductions they they might well have more pain like I was very aware that these kind of methods of induction might contribute to a longer labor and I would be in a bit more pain. So really I was praying for it just to break my waters. I was really praying for that. What did you think about that, Jean? Well, I think the whole thing with the induction is you wanted to avoid it because there's evidence to suggest that you may be more likely to have some increased pain during your labor and stuff like that because it happens rather than your contractions gradually increasing, they come thick and fast. Um, I think at that stage, you, like you say, the midwife was so, she was really good. She was an older midwife that clearly knew her stuff and really supported Beth. And that was the first, that was that, because Beth was dead worried about going into that situation and not feeling empowered again. And that's not how you want to start your your birth, your labour experience. But um, she really empowered you, like you say, and, and just made it your own. Um, and mm. then that meant that you had a good footing to, to go forward. Yeah, so basically I was examined and I was enough to allow that midwife to break my waters thankfully and she broke my waters and then I was I was raring to go basically and James went to get my birth bag and came back and it all happened really quickly actually I started to get contractions and James was there and I just remember looking at the table and James was amazing he had set out all these things so my tens machine all the little bits and bobs that we were going to use in labor all my hydration and all my little bits and bobs to eat all my food and it was all laid out so nicely and I thought oh James you're amazing and this is going to be great we're going to do this and we 
started to just keep active walking about the place and to be fair they they just left us to it that midwife was really good she just left me to it she was like you're gonna get into your zone it's gonna be great we'll walk around and I was on the gym ball I was really it was very important to me to keep active and keep moving on all fours but then my contractions started happening so we had this app where you could do your contractions um we'll monitor your contractions what they're doing but actually we just ended up using a timer which was kind of much less faff because they were coming so thick and fast James was on it with timing them and they were coming well like every every minute I was getting a strong contraction but obviously because the baby was was really ready to come by that point I presume and he was quite heavy maybe on my pelvis and really encouraging the contractions to come so I was just automatically going into my breathing so the up breathing and hypnobirthing when you do say two breaths in and then four breaths out really breathing out was the biggest pain relief the breathing out part of it and I was just on it with that I just continued to do that from the get-go and every time I had a contraction, it didn't really feel like pain. And I knew that I'd read about it being healthy pain and that pain is a good pain. And that was kind of from your podcast as well, Poppy. And I was really feeling, actually, this is a fine pain. It was kind of like when you go for your smear test and you get that feeling of someone touching your cervix to take the test sample. It was just like that. It's just kind of an uncomfortable ache, like a toothachey feeling, but it didn't to me feel like a pain. I just had a different view of pain, maybe being a physio as well. And I knew that I could I could cope with that. It's just it's quite intense and it's probably not what you want. It makes you sweat a bit in your upper lip, but you know, you can like I can deal with this. So the the breathing and each contraction I visualized my cervix opening. Uh, and I visualized that pain, well, or that ache, I, I kind of thought it was more, uh, it actually my cervix opening when that ache was happening. So it was like just progressing and I felt good about the contractions coming, it was great. But I didn't really get much chance to eat or drink, but basically James was great because he just kept feeding me water and the water was cold and I just imagined it as like liquid pain relief. And every time I had the water, and you really needed the water because you were breathing so hard. So your mouth was getting really dry. So the water was a massive part of my pain relief, which is weird because that wasn't in my birth plan, you know, water. <laughs> but actually it was, you know, it's nature's amazing substance that fed my body throughout that experience. So we went through just doing that literally all I was doing was visualization breathing and water for 14 hours really and I didn't have they offered me pain relief but I you know paracetamol etc was kind of out the door but I was I was just like what nah don't need it just keep me going so you know they regularly wanted to monitor the baby and the baby was kind of fine at the start and they checked me a few times just to check my dilation level and they checked me and I was about six seven centimeters dilated so that was great I was like oh I'm almost there and how did you feel at this point James? Well um we were like you said we'd just done a lot of work with your breathing and and if I noticed Beth 
changing our breathing, so breathing really fast or anything like that. I just re- tried to reinforce that as much as I could, and and then you would be able to come down because, um, although you know you're talking about it as an ache, it's obviously very uncomfortable at that time, particularly when you're in the throes of the main contraction. Um, I had a lot of uh, job <laughs> putting counter pressure on your back about. I think it was maybe, I was doing that maybe about 12 hours of the time. Oh my goodness, I just actually forgot that James was doing counter pressure on my sacrum, probably about the 12 hours. And I totally forgot to say that that was a big part of the pain relief as well. So James had just as physical a workout as I did, actually. Well, I don't know about that, but um, it was uh, certainly, it was a lot of pressure you needed in your back to kind of relieve that. Um, those kind of that those yeah um, contraction discomfort but actually that felt amazing it was really nice like it didn't you know it just felt <laughs> it's just like James keep doing that and anytime he, he came away from me then I, I just wanted him to do it again so it was just it was amazing that pressure and because I had the monitor my plan had kind of been to have a water birth but because I was having my contractions so thick and fast and because I was on the monitoring, I kind of thought, oh, maybe that's going to be a bit more of a faff than anything. So we were doing so well that we were doing. So actually we didn't end up trying the water birth, which I would like to do in the future. But yeah, that time we just ended up going with what felt right. But I had all my positive affirmation cards too. Um, so I had written things down like behave and act in ways to reduce pain, be present, and just enjoy the moment. And I was so doing that with James trying to do that. But what I had found was I had my eyes closed and my eyes stayed closed from that moment when I was about seven centimeters dilated to actually when I opened them to see Hamish. And uh, so basically what happened was we were seven centimeters and the consultant came in and there was a lot of rumblings because I had been going on for 14 hours. I think they were then like, gosh, we need to get this baby out. What's happening? Like it's taken ages. And they felt that the monitoring, the baby's heart rate was going down. And fair enough, they were definitely of the opinion that the baby needed to come out. I was potentially a little bit skeptical because the monitoring was slipping about on me because at this stage, obviously you're, you're sweaty. So the monitoring was not staying in place. So I was a wee bit skeptical about the fact that they thought the baby's heart, especially with what's happened before. So they said, you know, you, you either go for a C-section right now, Beth, or you wait two hours and see what's going to happen. And I was like, wait two hours. Let's just keep going with this. I feel fine. And we waited the two hours and I kept going. But at that stage, I started getting the ultimate urge to push. I was wanting to push so hard. And my body just started pushing. And <laughs> I, yeah, I have heard another mum saying that, that resisting the urge to push is so hard. So I really was told that I was not allowed to push because I was only seven centimeters dilated. And if I pushed, I would contribute to swelling my cervix and then we really would have to have a C-section. So that two hours, I was on it. I remember just keeping my eyes closed and resisting that urge to push. I actually had to pant, like do my pant breathing to stop me from pushing. And 
I think I did pretty well. I tried not to push. Sometimes it was just overwhelming and you had to push. But again, I, I was like, well, what's my, my body wants to push. So am I actually seven centimeters or am I more? You know, all these kind of things come in your head. But two hours came and they said, look, Beth, we'll examine you again. And they examined me again and thought I was still seven centimeters. And they just said, ah, C-section, come on, Beth, you need to have a C-section now. And I kind of felt that they were almost taken away from me what, I, what I'd done so well to achieve. I wanted to continue, I really wanted to. I, I didn't feel like I wanted to give up at all. I, was, I really felt on it and I could do it. But I kind of, I, we just took a wee minute and I was chatting away to James. And how did you feel, James? Well, I think, um, you know, you've been in labour for 14 hours and although you were, you were obviously doing great and like you said, you actually found the stopping yourself from pushing much, almost pain, more painful than the contractions themselves. Um, but we did find out latterly that Hamish was a heavy baby, so you were going to have more pressure on your cervix anyway. Um, but the, the whole process, they were regularly monitoring Beth throughout. And I was kind of the, well, I think as a birth partner, you're working as an advocate. So Beth had her eyes closed. She's in her zone and didn't speak to anybody other than me the, the, from about eight o'clock. So she went into labor and about three o'clock. From about eight o'clock, you were just in your zone, um, completely quiet. And uh, so I was speaking to the professionals and, and monitoring Beth's um, contractions, getting them to come in at the right moment because they would try and get her blood pressure. And if she's in the middle of a contraction, you kind of get it anyway. So there's no point in pestering her. Um, so I was doing that. But when it come when it came to Hamish's, they'd said Hamish's heart rate had started to go down and you were quite obviously in your zone but um, seven centimetres and it didn't progress for about four hours I think and his heart rate started to slow down. They'd, the consultant came and spoke to me and said you know this is I think the best case scenario. They also were of the opinion that Hamish was maybe in a difficult position your cervix had started to become edematous so it started to swell up so it does become harder although I don't know if it's impossible you're just dealing with what you're told at that time and I think you have to go with what and it's that brain thing what are the risks here yeah I could continue and that's what we were talking about I could continue in labor just um, doing what I'm doing just now but it may mean that in four hours, I have to go for, um, you know, a really emergency C-section. Although they class it as a C an emergency C-section when you're in labour, there are different categories. So a category one is straight in and out. And we were category three, were we? I think we were actually category two. So... 30 minutes is what you get with category one before they need to, you know, to get the baby out. Category two is they need to get it out within 90 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, that that yeah. was basically the decision that we made based on Hamish's safety. And I think 
when it comes to them then seeing that it's Hamish's safety, you're then kind of thinking, I'm a parent. I, I need to think about my baby. And the, not that there was any kind of discussion about social work or anything, but they do kind of look at you thinking, you know, are you going to harm your baby here? Are you going to do this for your own ego as such so that you could have your vaginal birth that you wanted? Or are you going to save your baby and, you know, have your baby the way we think you should have him? So it was difficult because I don't necessarily know if they know the true position of your baby in your tummy at that stage in pregnancy as well. And uh, it's just all a bit confusing. And we ended up then just going for the emergency C-section. I signed the form with my eyes closed (laughs) and I went to theatre, had a spinal the anaesthetist was amazing. The anaesthetist talks to you throughout. And I think that was what one of your previous speakers, Sam, mentioned in her cesarean, that um, the anaesthetist is always amazing and speaks to you and um, just talks you through it all. And that was really it. We weren't really prepared for the way that Hamish was born in that way. Certainly, obviously, when you have your vaginal birth or if you have, say, a natural C-section where you can see your baby being born, you know it's definitely your baby because it's come out of you. And that sounds daft, you know, it's it's definitely your baby, but it's funny what your mind does at that time. And um, particularly, you know, we were running in uh, very little sleep and obviously by that point you're tired and all that sort of thing. And certainly when they said that Hamish had come out of me and they showed, well, they had to take him away initially to check he was okay. And immediately he was crying and fine. And I was like, ah, that baby was fine. But you, you don't want to say that, but okay, it was fine. So then they came and showed me him. And I looked at him and thought, are you my baby? And did you come out of me? But I didn't see you come out of me, but I, I think you did. And, you know, and it's that initial like, whoa, like, you know, actually, are, like, and you feel bad because you, you think, you know, are you my baby? You said you might be, <laughs> but he was obviously, and 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 it took a wee bit of time to kind of adjust to that. And I was very much for delayed cord clamping, so I was shouting delayed cord clamping, and and James cut the cord, and all these kind of things that I wanted to do. And I think there was a wee bit of delay potentially with with doing these things because they wanted to check the baby was okay, and it was an emergency scenario. So we didn't necessarily get like a room that was obviously well lit and music and all that. It was just a, a theatre, basic theatre setting. And then obviously we got skin on skin with Hamish and, and that was really us. We, we had him, but it did take us a wee while to process the fact that he was our baby. I think it would take you a bit longer because after the spinal um, Beth was numb from the, like, the waist down and couldn't get up, so when Hamish was needing his nappy change in that first time, um, I, I was doing it, but you felt a bit distant from that because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get up and pick him up in the way that you maybe liked to. Although you did have skin on skin and he fed for the first time and that was, you know, you had that golden hour. Um, but I think the... I felt a bit like a a beached whale, to be honest, (laughs) just unable to move. And I was just watching James. It was lovely watching James with Hamish. I really wanted to obviously do that myself, which is maybe a bit of a downside of a a C-section. But at the end of the day, 
I was really happy that I'd got that experience of labor and I was really proud of myself for having got through it the way I did and I really think in the end and this sounds really bad in a way the medical side of things really waved and took over me and that's how Hamish was born but at the end of the day we have Hamish we have that gold medal at the end of our marathon and you know we got there and actually we felt so positive because we we ended up you know doing what we wanted to do we dabbled a bit with labor I got to experience the feeling of of labor and yeah I think I think you in the just after he was born you felt much more positive about the whole situation you know with that week you felt pretty positive because you were able to do the labor you were in labor for 14 hours and then you had your c-section under advice um, and you felt you, you did feel empowered at that point. I think sometimes when you go back and reflect, it's quite easy to go, oh, that kind of happened to me. But actually, throughout, you were making decisions. We were talking about it. Although you were in your zone, we talked about it when we could. And and there are sometimes things that you feel happen to you a bit. I think the best thing you can do is being able to speak about these things with your support, you know, speak about your experience with your support network. And obviously, Poppy, your um, podcast is great for that because it, it facilitates that kind of chat to talk about it. And the big thing for you, you know, now we are, uh, Hamish is six weeks old. I think your feeling now is you feel, I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth, but, um, you feel you were saying you were feeling a wee bit like a failure for having a c-section and that's not you know that's just not the case it was the best case scenario at the time under advice and being in mind being in mind that the birth of your child is really important it's really important to have a great experience and make the most out of it as positive as you, as you can but actually at the end of the day the birth of your child is a tiny snapshot, a blip in their entire life. And you've got their entire life to have all those good things about it. And I think that's what to focus on. It's, it's easy to think, oh, why did that happen to me? And all that sort of thing, rather than actually, you know, I've got this beautiful baby and I've got his whole life ahead of you know, me to, to, to build on the positives, I suppose. Hmm, definitely. And I, I, I certainly resonated with your previous speaker again, Sam, who was talking about her caesarean and how she felt a bit like a failure as well. And she had that same emotion because I was thinking, gosh, I had that. And I really felt like that, that I really wanted to have the vaginal birth. But I was, the more you think about it, you think, well, you could have had a vaginal birth and it could have had terrible consequences. I could have gone on to have a bad time or I could have gone on to have a good time, but you just don't know. And it just, what happens to you happens and you just have to manage your reaction to that. And that's what I would say to mums who are potentially fearful about birth is that, you know, anything in life is about how you react to it and how you manage that reaction. And if you've got a great support network around you, you've got a toolkit for how you're going to manage it, you know, so I had the birth bag and all that. And you feel empowered in your decisions throughout. You actually have a voice in what you're doing. That makes such a difference. You know, 
all the psychological side of it is much better to process if you have been able to be that voice and have that energy throughout your birth that you want to have. I'm just in awe of you two. I like you you told that story so well and I actually got quite teary listening. Thank you guys so much. That was so powerful and um just wow. I hope everyone has a birth partner like James. It's just <laughs> amazing. Like you guys are fucking heroes. Like honestly, that was like the best birth story I've ever heard. And you are not a failure. You smashed your first bit of labor. You like had so many hurdles with the medical professionals and you stood up for yourself both of you like honestly that was incredible <laughs> you just took me on such an emotional journey like I was just <laughs> sat in this shed like listening to you both like wow like in the room of you with your eyes closed like signing the paper your eyes closed <laughs> like that was just insane wow <laughs> guys thank you so much that was just brilliant is there anything else you wanted to share I mean yeah wow um oh um I'm forgetting your questions that you had actually Poppy I think you had um what you would maybe do second time round because I know your previous listen your previous speaker did talk about the fact that um if you have a cesarean once then you would be labeled potentially as a v-back the vaginal birth after cesarean the next baby and we definitely want to have more babies because it is amazing. And to be honest, the day after I had Hamish, I was like, I feel great downstairs. Let's get on this, you know, like. Oh, good for you. <laughs> Lucky for some. I was like, yeah. get away from me for the next nine months, maybe even one and done. <laughs> <laughs> you're either, you're either going to be swollen um, downstairs or you're going to be swollen in your abdomen, aren't you? With yes. the C-section. And I think that's just the, the recovery I'm still recovering from that swelling. I'm on my my scar massage, which is really important after C-section. And I'm gently doing walking and exercise every day and trying to keep my movement mechanics good and just looking after myself with what I eat and drink. And that's been really important in my recovery. And I am still recovering. It'll take, I know they recommend that you don't have any baby for another two years after any kind of birth in particular cesarean so certainly that is I would definitely want to try for a, a v-back or a vaginal birth the next time and and I know that because I went to 43 weeks I am more likely to go past my due dates again for my second birth and that is significant in the sense that what will I do about that medical pressure how will I actually try and be more stress free (laughs) and I think I'll have to deal with that as it comes because the world might be a bit different again you know there won't be necessarily hopefully the COVID precautions and things um but certainly I want to try and have a home birth potentially and be in water at some point during my labor and just have another amazing experience that I've been informed about and that's all I can try and achieve the next time. And just, I'm excited to do it again. I think it'll be fun. <laughs> it's so fun. Amazing. It's so amazing. It's one of these experiences that you just never are going to, you know, do very much in your life. But it's so epic. And it's different mm. every time. Well, I would assume we've only done it once. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, you know, 
different baby is going to be different and the scenario mm. is going to be different so it's, what a positive uh, message to spread as well I'm excited to do it again that's just yeah. amazing oh yeah it's just so cool like women are so cool What a story that was. Thank you so much, Beth and James, for sharing that with us. And guys, do keep your eyes out for a part two where we have midwife Kemi Johnson responding to Beth. As always, I'm on Instagram, pop that mama. Would love to connect with you. Drop me a message if you have enjoyed this podcast and also leave a review on Apple. I'm really keen to grow my community. So anything you could do to help would be greatly appreciated. And thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hi guys, if you're still here, that is amazing. I'm just adding this announcement onto the end to let you guys know that my online hypnobirthing course, Birthbox, is now live. Go and check it out. I've put so much love into this. It's an immersive course that's split up into video and audio content, so really giving you a flexible learning experience. And the content is designed to help you feel better prepared, more informed and confident and excited for birth. So if you want to feel like that, then go and check it out. I've put everything into this. Lots of love, lots of passion. And I really hope that you feel that as you work your way through the course. So uh, go and check it out in the link below and have a lovely day.